0: Welcome to the Religion and Story Podcast. On this week's episode, we are going to be addressing a very serious topic, uh, but likely one that all of our listeners have spent some time thinking about. Uh, Within families, within our own personal lives, we often have to face the questions about our own sinful addictions. And one that seems to plague not just the world at large, but the church specifically, is that of sexual addiction. So, uh, the structure that we're going to take for the podcast tonight is to first talk about what is addiction. Why are we using that specific language? And then talk about the spectrum of sexual addiction. You know, what could possibly be included in that list? And third, talk about how that hurts not only the individual, but those around them and their relationship with God. And then finally, we will talk about different solutions. What are the ways that someone can try to deal with the issue at hand? Uh, so we're going to start off with that first question of what is an addiction? Uh, Stephen, I think you have a definition to start us
1: off with. So, yeah, the definition of addiction is uh, to take in something more uh, Uh, that takes a priority over what it normally should. Uh, I think there are a few other definitions of addiction out there that might do a a little better of explaining how we're going to be addressing it uh, in our podcast. And it's mainly taking in or consuming something despite the negative effects it may have on you. Uh, And there are things that we will come out and say that, Uh, Addiction can really only be good if it is uh, Focused on something that is holy Uh, And so you could be addicted to God you could be addicted to worship Uh, And anything that you can come up with that has a holy connotation to it. Yes That is something to be good or uh, that is good for you now. There are endless possibilities of ways that we can separate ourselves from God and those things are always a negative addiction. Now, let's think about other things like family. Can you be addicted to spending time with your family? That could be a good thing, but if that addiction takes priority over your relationship with God, obviously, then it then becomes a negative addiction for you. And so, the uh, the the thing that is important to remember when we're talking about what an addiction actually is is that you are consuming something, taking something in, and as you do that, you're filling your life with whatever this might be. And an addiction is often, not all the time, but often noted that you continue to do it despite the negative or harmful effects that it has on your life, your your body, specifically with drugs in that case. Uh, That's the one that's most commonly referred to as a negative effect on your body itself but I think that the sexual addiction that we're going to be talking about today also has that negative negative effect on your body not just your mental well-being so Stephen I, when you're when you're talking about this this
0: definition of addiction I think one way and t- tell me if you agree with this uh, Daniel as well um, tell me if you agree with this kind of short definition um, when a good thing becomes a God thing, when something that is created by God, uh, that is perhaps good in some capacity, in some part of your life, over, uh, overtakes all of your life, kind of consumes you and, and controls you rather than you using it to the glory of God. Um, I, I think that one of the reasons we're, t- we're starting off by talking about what is an addiction is to remind ourselves and remind our listeners That sex itself is not, not only is it not a bad thing, it is a God created gift. Uh, So uh, it's important that we do not denigrate sex itself, but denigrate its use as a God. Is that fair? Yeah, I think
2: that's fair. Understanding what sex is uh, intended to be, and then, but also not. Indulging in it beyond, uh, or that's maybe a bad word, but yeah, like you were saying, putting it in a place that it should not be, even if you haven't messed up the sex in any sort of way, but in a way that uh, puts it more, makes it more important in your life than God. I think that's totally fair. Um, I do want to talk about um, how um, how we mishandle sex and uh, uh, maybe sinful forms of sexuality. Um, and so we'll balance that throughout this conversation, I think, is talking about uh, sex in, in what is otherwise um, within the, um, the confines of marriage, something like that, but still is destroyed by um, addiction, but also sex, uh, that has been malformed in some way. Sex has been um, distorted. So uh, I think I, I wrote a paper about this back in undergrad um, about the the template for sexuality that is given to us in Genesis um, chapter two, um, when God is is creating, uh, is looking for a suitable sexual partner um, for Adam, and it of course culminates in the creation of Eve. Uh, Four ideas are put forth here. Uh, The first one is that the the sexual partner can't be too different. So that's why the the animals are ruled out. And for most people, not a huge issue, but uh, for some people that that probably bears mentioning. Um, The Second thing is that it can't similar that God creates um, a different sort of being, this helpmate, that's not the same as Adam, but uh, is similar, but not, but not the exact same. Um, something that is compatible, um, that complements or supplements who Adam is. The, the third thing, which is actually what my paper is mostly about, uh, is kind of a weird thing to bring up, but good for this discussion, uh, which is that uh, the partners are supposed to be equal, or, or as it's phrased in my paper, one is not to have dominion over the other. We see in the Genesis account that dominion is given to um, uh, to Adam over the the animals of the field and of the earth, uh, but not so with Eve. So the uh, the point of the paper is to talk about actual uh, or issues of BDSM, um, which is uh, something that uh, I've had very few conversations about in my life, but as uh, I I think we're all aware, it is a a common thing um, that's probably worth discussing more. And then the fourth thing uh, worth bringing up is that um, uh, you're supposed to only have one partner, and so monogamy instead of uh, polygamy. and so th- those are all the ways that we're trying to. This is what I, I, the the right form of sexuality looks like in the Genesis vision. Um, but a, again, there we have this spectrum. So sometimes sexuality looks right in um, any conceivable way that you can think of. But there's still this problem of addiction that's present. What What are your all thoughts on this spectrum of uh, sexual sin and uh, sexual?
1: So. Let me chime in real quick. So as far as uh, the different types of things that can go on inside the marriage bedroom uh, some might argue that God created sex specifically for procreation and um, That uh, that sex is made for enjoyment is something that I don't uh, Please correct me if I'm wrong, but where in the Bible does it say that sex was made for human enjoyment uh, it is enjoyable. However, um, where was that ever said that that is why God made it? Song of Solomon. There's a whole book dedicated to it. Well, Where does it say God created us uh, so that we might in- enjoy this?
0: I don't think you're reading it correctly if you don't understand.
1: <laughs> All right. Now, I understand that the romance between a husband and a wife is supposed to be uh, that exists in intimate times, but um, the I, the reason I'm asking this is because of uh, what things uh, be, uh, start to distort what God has uh, created, uh, even if it's done between a husband and a wife that are married and uh, bound together uh, uh, as a union with Christ in it, and it is... Anything goes at that point in the bedroom is that okay? And I think we're getting off topic as far as like uh, the uh, the spectrum of sexual addiction. And I and I'm also wanting. I'm starting to think that that spectrum is well. Is there God present in your sexual relationship, or is He not? That's really the spectrum right there. That's fair.
0: So, so Stephen,
1: I agree with you. I I actually
0: don't think we're getting too far off topic. Um, So just to present a really quick spectrum, um, the way that we perhaps commonly think about this is that, you know, that first lustful thought that you have about just someone walking by is kind of the most basic form of you know, going off the the right sexual path. So that's perhaps the most innocent, if I'm allowed to say that. Yeah, Um, that's where I was going with it, yes. Sure. And then the the worst form would be, and are all sorts of weird things that I won't even describe on polite radio, if we can call it this, Um, you know, things you don't want to say that involve... uh, breaking all of the rules that daniel just talked about okay that's that's kind of the the other end of things and in between there what perhaps most people that have sexual addictions would deal with is somewhere between pornography masturbation uh constant lust um and actually just cheating on your committed spouse so that's kind of what's going on there. I think, that though, there is another layer, and I think Daniel's getting at this, Stephen, you're getting at this as, as well, that we don't talk about as much, and that and that is that the, the marriage bed is created for union. And in order to have union, you must have some type of equality, Um one thing that we'll probably get into a bit more this and I apologize to our listeners. I, I'm mixing up all of our different parts of the podcast, but um, one of the reasons that pornography hurts the marriage bed is because um, you are importing expectations from a fake sexual relationship that you really weren't even a part of. You just viewed it onto your own relationships and you um, and even if, uh, even if you, you never act out on any of those things, your imagination, your uh, your thoughts about what sex should be, have been distorted. Rather than being uh, spouse centric, it is now self centric to some degree, uh, and it and it's also going away from you know what are we together. Rather, what you're saying, what are we together, given my previous expectations? How can you be more like this outside image? Um,
1: That's what I think of when I read Song of Solomon, uh, those things that uh, our relationship, my sexual desire is to please you, not to please myself. I agree. That's fair. That's fair.
0: Um, are, are there other parts of the spectrum that need to be brought up that are important for clarification?
1: I think when we're talking, about going back to the definition that you pursue and consume something, even if it's harmful to you, it's the, the extent of the self-harm that you will endure to be able to take that in. I think that the further down the road you get uh, uh, on that where it's not only harming yourself but harming others and that's uh where it's that's the spectrum that i would see where if you have a lustful thought and you can keep that into yourself but if those build up to the point where you're acting out obviously there's deception that's involved if you're in a committed relationship um there your spiritual degradation uh, as a result of that I mean, we could go all the way down the road where you're selling off uh, your family's retirement account so that you can go out and uh, squander it with whatever you might need to do to fulfill your desire. So uh, at that point, it's not only hurting you, but it's hurting other people as well. So that's the spectrum that I I was kind of thinking of. Uh, In some other
2: things that are probably worth springing up while we're talking about all putting all the issues on the table uh is the issue of modesty i, I was talking about this with uh, lauren today and modesty is really one element of what i think is probably the more important conversation and that is the sexual sexualization of culture um uh, it's pretty easy from a Christian standpoint to um, to recognize something wrong in secular culture um, because there is uh, a lot of sex outside of marriage. It's very common. Um, and so if we can see that one very specific thing and point to that and say, okay, that there's your, your problem. We have to stop this from happening. But I think that is really um, just the, the biggest symptom of uh, what is probably the underlying cause or the, the underlying problem, which is a, a culture that is obsessed with sexuality. Another probably more minor but important symptom of that is the issue of modesty um, and how um, men and women, um, but ma- mainly women, because there's a lot of social pressure put on to women um, about how we dress and the, Uh, the persona that we want to give off, and that's normally a a sexual um, presentation of our... um, uh, Another smaller thing I was going to mention that's kind of aside from that issue, Um, I I talked about equality, the Genesis 2 vision of sexuality, and how that maybe says some things against BDSM, um, but maybe more relevant to some of us, or at least worth reflecting on, is uh, the issue of expectation of sex and the idea that um, I am owed sex, either as the, the male or female spouse. Um, and this idea that this, this is for me, what the other person mm-hmm. is. So there's a few more issues just to. Uh, things that we're, we're trying to juggle while we talk about all of this.
1: So, uh, and I think that it would be worth talking about the how uh, is the sin conceived? Uh, what are the, a lot of the origins that uh, cause sexual addiction to take root and then grow? Um, and uh, it can come in all uh, different forms and how that would... Come about um, the main thing that uh, people go and seek out these uh, ways to be gratified is because they have some sort of emptiness or a greed. Uh, I think that that's kind of what Daniel's getting out, uh, getting at when he's saying that I'm supposed to be fulfilled in the sexual relationship, and if you aren't, uh, then you think that uh, you will find. Satisfaction by going out and finding something that will satisfy you and Michael you said it before that these uh, As far as uh, pornography is concerned. It's artificial. It's fake uh, Yet uh, you find that acceptance in something like that because you're getting what you what you want rather than giving to someone else uh, uh, Yourself to them let, let me. This is going to
0: be the most bizarre thing that I say, but let me make the best case for pornography. Right. I don't want. I don't. I don't want to knock down a pornography straw man. Okay. Um, I I I can't say that it's not real. It is physically a real thing that is happening that you are watching a video of. It is emotionally fake. Um,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it's it's and to be. Uh, if this is weird to say, but it's spiritually fake. I think that um, that there, there is a God-created tie between sex and spirituality. Um, in the, in, I, for the record, I've never done drugs, but I've heard that there is a spiritual high that you can get with some hallucinogenics. And to the extent that there is a chemical connection in your brain Between the high that you would get from the pleasure of either having real sex with your spouse or viewing artificial sex, um, there is a spiritual connection. And I'm not saying that all spiritual things are chemical related, but
1: Uh, just a rush of dopamine.
0: Right. I'm saying that it's tied there. That that you um, you're trying. Stephen, you were talking about this. You're trying to replace emotional emptiness, spiritual emptiness. So the the physical act is real. It's car, it is carnal. That's the the word that the Bible often uses for sexual sins. And so this the physical it's it's championing physicality above emotions, above relationships, above spiritual uh, uh, spiritual acts.
1: Right. And so the whole point of the acting out in uh, with pornography is for self gratification not for god or your spouse and that's really uh, the problem uh that that's what makes it simple because it's out of the context that god had put it in so,
0: mm-hmm. yeah it. yeah and, and and any act that is done for god ends up pleasing you but it's not done for you it's done it's done to the glory of of God or done to 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 um, to benefit someone else, um, so I I think that it's like any other sin in that way that we our God becomes our stomach and we look inwards at ourselves, and we are trying to please ourselves first. Um, even in a right and healthy relationship, if sex becomes something that is you know, you're trying to fulfill yourself rather than your spouse. That is a problem and can become sinful. Um, we should have said this at the beginning of the podcast. I think we should acknowledge that we are three married men. Uh, so we have, uh, we have our own lived realities that if, if you're a single person listening to this podcast, you, you have different realities. And to the extent we can, we, we, we try to reflect on those things, but we probably can't do that to the best of our abilities. But, uh, Within a two-person, you know, one-man, one-woman committed relationship, um, your goal, it, sex at its best, the way God created it, is to to aim to please the other person. And in doing so, it ends up, the, the, the overflow of that is that it helps you. It, I think that's fair. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm not sure where I was going with that, but I, it's related. Yeah. That's good. I
1: like that. So um,
2: do we want to talk more then about uh, the Christian response to sexual
1: addiction? Is that where this conversation Uh, I like that because I thought it might be good for us to debunk the myth that um, masturbation is just something, sorry, I had to use the M word, that um, masturbation is completely normal, that even in a marriage a wife should be uh, find that a husband goes and uh, I've used the term take care of himself if uh, That's what he needs to do and she gives him the freedom that uh, I know he just living in a, a, a men or boys dormitory in college at a Christian university that kind of joking was almost accepted in some circles that um, yeah, it's just normal. That's what guys do. So what, what would you guys say to that kind of thought pattern? I would give a bit more credit to Christian men
0: in that, I, at least in circles I've run in, there was always the recognition that it was wrong, but there was always also this recognition that everyone does it. So it was normalized. And, and even if you're saying something's wrong, normalizing it is still not the best thing to do. Uh, because it changes the the content of the conversation from, uh, well, I'm repenting again this week. We're having our guys meeting, and once again, I'm coming forward to how can I proactively spirit-led within the God's community do something about it? And I I know we're going to talk more about solutions later, uh, but having (laughs) real conversations is a part of it. Um, Daniel, you also brought up modesty. Um, I think that... Um, you know, I'm a guy, and so I cannot reflect on this in the way that I should. I think that guys talk about it a lot, and perhaps we could do a better job of it. I've always wondered, I'd I'd love to get feedback from young women on how well does that message of modesty stick? How well does it actually change the way that they behave? Uh, I know I've had conversations with my wife about it before, and I think that I think that it did with her, but um, I'm not, conv- and I'm not trying to point fingers at anyone. But I think that that is a message that widely goes ignored, even uh, amongst uh, Christian young women. To speak broadly, there is a, a current.
2: I'll give more of my thoughts on this in a moment, but I think there is a, a current reaction to a lot of that youth group teaching that um The three of us are familiar with. A lot of our listeners are probably familiar with of um, of sort of bringing up the issue of modesty a lot in teenage years, directing it mostly towards girls. It's this specifically this this line that we're pretty familiar with, or we probably heard used a lot that. Um, how, uh, how a girl dresses may cause wh- her uh, male brother in Christ to stumble, um, cause them to stumble. That's the thing that w- we've heard a lot of. And there's a reaction against that, I think, in a lot of Christian circles. Uh, millennials, people who grew up hearing that, um, uh, this this generation that all three of us, I think. Stephen, are you a Gen Xer or are you a millennial? I've
1: been told I'm a millennial.
2: Okay. He's on the edge. Um, so, uh, and the reaction is mostly that I am not responsible for, um, their sin, which I, I sympathize with. Um, you are not held accountable for that, but it's all, I mean, anyway, th- there's, we said on that issue. Uh, so that uh, I just wanted to Bring that up in relation to what you had said, Michael.
0: So just really, I'll make this a very short response. I've, I've heard the same reaction as well. Um, that is that is technically true, that, that any one person is not responsible for another one person's sin. That said, um, I don't want to be a part of a family with someone who doesn't have any sense of ownership of my life. Um, that doesn't have a sense of accountability uh, for the life we choose to lead. So anyway, that's kind of my response. I I think that we need to go beyond that. So anyway, Daniel, uh, continue.
2: Uh, The only other thing I was going to mention was something else you said about uh, in circles that you've run in in the past, I think you're probably thinking like college, high school, maybe Christian men, they recognize that, Pornography, um, masturbation are bad, but um, they have normalized it. Um, I, I would, I just want to bring up. I would be interested to know what the reaction is in our, our current circles. I would think it'd probably be the opposite. Um, that I, I have not encountered any um, adult m- uh, men who are um, or, or, or women. Um, Who are married? Who normalized this sort of thing? Maybe in in secular culture, sure. Thinking specifically of the movie American Beauty, Um,
1: but in Christian circles, they're normalizing. I don't know anyone. What are they normalizing? Uh,
2: That uh, masturbation in uh, while you're married is an an okay, thing, or maybe uh, not an okay thing, a bad thing, but it, it happens. I think most married uh, people are probably uh, ashamed of that. There's, well, idea
1: yeah, that yeah. And, and I think uh, uh, for in the big picture, that what really happens is it's more of a don't ask, don't tell, where the spouse probably knows that that kind of thing is going on but it's an uncomfortable thing that they don't want to have to address uh, because it's hurtful and so when things like that are discovered um, uh, either it it hurts someone deeply and they may not want to deal with it or it can just be a complete divide in the marriage Um, so yeah we're talking about consequences of doing something like that there's a a big one Uh, I did want to talk about um, people are. It's easy for people to live this sort of a lifestyle, and again, talking about masturbation and secrecy because it it's very easy to go about this sort of behavior and not have any uh, consequences. Just like some of the most sinful people in the world that become millionaires. um, This is just. Uh, an example that it is possible for somebody to have all the earthly blessings in the world, yet they're horrible people. Uh, Does that mean that they don't suffer for their uh, sinful actions? They may not. They may uh, rob the poor to get rich and just go on through life without suffering any consequences. The same thing can go on a minor scale where somebody can uh, act out uh, this type of way and. They don't really have any uh, anything that's going to cause them to lose their job, let's say. It may not reach to that level of consequences. But as we pointed out, there are spiritual consequences that um, where we often uh, focus on the earthly consequences and just completely dismiss uh, the idea that your heavenly father knows what you do in secret. So we're not pulling anybody, especially God, when we're doing those types of things. Or I guess we are pulling other people, but we're certainly not pulling God. Um, but yeah, uh, how, how would you guys say that, uh, how can we change uh, the mindset of someone who thinks that they're not being hurt by doing this? Yeah, so we're, we're
2: getting into this Christian response uh, topic. And I'm going to throw out some uh, I'll, I'll respond to what you said, Stephen, and I'm going to share some uh, controversial opinions as we, we get into uh, this discussion. Uh, the first thing we're saying is uh, from a, a psychological standpoint, and so anyone, anyone who would really be saying they're not being hurt by doing this, that I would think science is probably the, the best response for that because you can make the, uh, the religious case very easily. And they're clearly already ignoring that. Um, Matthew chapter five uh, about uh, discussing the topic of lust. Okay, that, that discussion is very easy and done. But psychologically speaking, the, the research is very clear that there are essentially no uh, close to no, no positive effects that can come from pornography.
1: Um, that it's well, extremely hard. Just sure, because, sure. because the person that is doing it saying, "Well, uh, I left the bar, didn't find any girls to come home with me. I go and I act out." And uh, now I feel good and I'm gonna go to bed now. So that is, in their mind, is that, that's the positive effect for them.
2: So uh, I guess, yeah, as an alternative to something worse, I guess I can make that case for a lot of things So I just
0: murdered one person instead of 10. Uh, aren't you proud of me? Um, so, let, let me kind of insert one other thing that actually we haven't talked about too much and I, this conversation's making me think about it here. We haven't talked about um, premarital sex or living with someone outside of of the context of marriage. Um, I remember when I first heard someone make the I had always heard people say, "Well, I'm not hurting anyone, and we both love each other, and we'll get married eventually." And I always knew it was wrong. But then I remember when I heard someone make just the case that I was like, "Oh wow, it really is hurting the people." So what they said was, "Imagine." that you are in a rental relationship uh that you're in you know you're renting the car and if the car and i apologize for comparing humans to cars but know going with it um imagine if the car stops working you get rid of the car uh in rental relationships you are not in it for ownership and for the long term so practically speaking um, if you are hooking, uh, if you're shacking up with someone, as we say, you know, you're living with someone before marriage, you are constantly performing for the person. You are trying out to to get eternal love, uh, to get unconditional love from the person because they have not made that commitment to you, and so um, you are not actually showing them your real self. You are showing them. Uh, what it's like to be on a date with the person, but that's 24 seven for your life. Anyway. um, So I remember that this kind of changing my, my thoughts about how these people live. Yes, they might say that they love the person. uh, And it's probably true. They feel that way about themselves. But what you're showing the person is not your true self. It is, it is a reserved Portion of you that is not willing to fully commit, and that's not the way we were created to act. And I think even that our non-Christian friends would agree with us that we don't want relationships that are not uh, that are not built for intimacy. They might say that, "Well, I don't want to commit to this person," but I think all people would admit that intimacy is the goal of real relationships. Now, we, we they might have hookups that where they don't want intimacy but if you want a real relationship that requires intimate actions which go well beyond sex sorry that's a tangent
1: i was thinking about that uh, when daniel was talking about modesty um because there was a shift in focus on what dating was uh, about a 100 years ago i guess where um uh, what exactly what you're talking about is we are um, the intent and purpose of dating shifted that you're basically testing out with somebody your interest in them and where you've lost the focus that once you're married and you're committed to them um, that is it that I mean like if things are not perfect guess what you need to just work on your marriage and and focus on the other person and not worry about whatever problem it is that you've got married into um, and if if you can obviously you want the other person if they're struggling with something that they've brought into the marriage you want to support them in uh, recovering from that but um, th- that how de- dating uh, has changed over time is that we're basically what you were saying, Michael, that we're trying to uh, be on our best behavior. And uh, really, if you're going to get married to somebody, you need to be looking at their spiritual lifestyle. I mean, if the person doesn't eat healthy or something like that, is that a reason to divorce them? No. I mean, there's no reason to divorce it, really. But uh, anyways, I don't know. I, 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 I need to watch what I'm saying because I know that we'll be getting hit up on Twitter with all the incorrect things that we've been saying in this podcast.
2: Ahead, uh, the brief aside, I'll, I'll say the Christian concept of the Christian understanding of dating uh, is something that is worth um, tinkering with and just think there that the form of dating that we normally talk about in Christian circles didn't really arise until the early um, 20th century And it was radically shaped um, after the sexual revolution in the 60s into something kind of totally different now. So we're really thinking mostly of like the 50s when we're talking about dating um, and how they did it then. Um, So it it is worth uh, realizing that we – we, persons need to keep thinking about what what does dating look like. What does the pre-marriage relationship look like? Um, so, other things from earlier that I wanted to bring up, uh, I think the the science is in the the uh, the religious, uh the, the theology is in um, sort of probably a lot of even social understanding. Even though a lot of people participate in pornography, most people. Um, from a lot of different perspectives, we can say pornography is a really bad thing. Um, it gets uh, uh, also cheating on people, a really bad thing. Few people are making um, any excuses for that. I'm sure there's someone out there. Um, but uh, when it comes to masturbation, I, I think that the conversation becomes a little bit trickier. Uh, there There is some research that suggests that there is um, some uh, health or psychological benefits to this uh, outs, uh, away from pornography. Um, on top of that, there is the uh, discussion to be had about uh, normalizing it. It seems sick, um, but demonizing it is that um, uh, how, how does it need to handle? This Um, There's a lot of response in the 21st century um, about trying to respond to what's called the purity ethic of evangelical Christianity. Um, Evangelicals for the last 50 50 years have been trying to push to their teenagers this idea of purity ethics, you have purity rings that a lot of us have probably heard of or seen before. Um, and talking about how we, how we need to stay sexually pure, and so it really hurts people um, uh, internally when they aren't able to do that, when when they fail to do that. That's, a, that's maybe a more accurate way of saying. It. Um, and so, uh, how do we talk? How do we talk about uh, masturbation in that context? Uh, we, cert- we if we don't want to normalize it, but we also don't want humanize it how do we how do we handle this conversation of understanding this is probably one, the most common sexual uh, uh, divergence but also at the same time something that Christians don't want us uh, to do
0: Thing. so it's I think it's most common because yeah, as Stephen has been uh, talking about earlier it's done in secret. And the secretness of it allows for it to be common. Because every day you spend a little bit of time by yourself or maybe a lot of time. Who knows?
1: I'll start by just giving some uh, words of uh, suggestions for somebody who may be struggling with this. And we didn't uh, hit on how women may be struggling with this other than uh, seeking attention through the way they dress. And I think it really does go beyond that. And maybe that'll be a podcast for another day. But just to say that we uh, are not ignoring them. Um, but uh, if you are struggling with this type of behavior where uh, you think that it really controls you, uh, think about what ways are you isolating yourself, one. Uh, And figure out who you can talk to as far as an accountability goes because if somebody is made aware of the problem uh, You're a lot more or a lot lot less likely to be acting out um, When you know that you're gonna have to be having an uncomfortable conversation about what uh, What you've done since the last time you checked in with them then also keep into consideration. You're not going to overcome this struggle unless your true desire for God is more than uh, your desire to go and act out. Uh, So if you don't want to recover from whatever problem that you have, you're not going to. Um, But as far as tools go that I would suggest putting out there, if if pornography is something that somebody struggles with, there are tools like uh, Covenant Eyes, which is something that you can put on any of your browsers, phone tablet, PC, um, and it basically acts as an accountability tool to one put a deterrence that will prevent you from looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at and will send accountability reports to whoever you assign to hold you accountable. Um, But uh, just as a self-check or awareness, figure out the different ways that you're compartmentalizing things where you, you... you act out in a sexual way, whether it be physically with someone else, and uh, then you try and go and live your life and forget about what happens. If you're doing that, then that means that uh, you're uh, trying to live two separate lives. And then uh, uh, I think Michael hinted at this, that sometimes you will normalize it or rationalize it, use justification to say, uh, like if you're unhappy in your marriage and you say, well, I'm not getting what I want in my marriage. This is how I should be getting what I deserve. That's a basic way of going about that thought process. And if that's something you're doing, then you've distorted the way you should be thinking about your marriage. And hopefully, we've talked about that enough that uh, maybe it'll uh, cause an awakening for somebody that is struggling with this. Yeah. Who else?
2: I think looking to the wisdom of 12-step programs, uh, not necessarily uh, joining one, though I believe there are some for sexual sins, uh, but a lot of the practices and uh, the the template out uh, given by those programs is useful for dealing with any sort of addiction, including sexual uh, addiction addiction, anything of that sort. Uh, Some big keys to that that I think are helpful that a lot of us um, don't recognize when we're trying to avoid addictions in our own lives, try to maybe tackle it on our own, uh, but realizing that you have to get external help to to talk to other people to get their aid and um, have that accountability from the outside is a huge factor.
0: So I couldn't agree more with, uh, what both of you have already said. So I will not repeat those things. I will, I will echo them. Um, I, I would want us to close on this. And, um, I I think that in a marriage relationship, uh, there's the excitement of, you know, uh, starting to explore a sexual relationship early on. Um, And one of the things that is necessary to continue a healthy sexual relationship, because even if you have a history of pornography or other sexual addictions, God can still still heal that. And you still come into this relationship needing to learn more about each other. And so it's important to to be open with each other. Uh, Daniel, you you said this well at the, at the beginning that we do not have dominion over each other. And if you don't have, do, if one person doesn't have dominion over the other, that means that conversation is essential. Um, you know, you don't, uh, two, two of the three of us have kids. You know, you're not talking about these things in inappropriate places, but you have a time to just be honest with each other and um, let the other person know your desires realizing that perhaps they might be influenced by previous sexual misconduct so you have to watch out for that but still let the other person know here's what i want but more importantly listen be a be a good listener um and that allows you to fully experience the gift that god has given us in the right way and you're not just experiencing it for yourself you're experiencing it with your closest spiritual partner And it glorifies God in doing that. Uh, Hopefully, this entire podcast has glorified God. uh, And hopefully, this has helped uh, some of our listeners think about these things. Uh, If you do struggle with these things, uh, please get help in in the right ways. Help from uh, brothers and sisters within your own congregation, someone that is close to you. um, And also help those around you who might be struggling with these things. Uh, Thank you for listening to this week's podcast.